like I mentioned, this is Legacy Sunday, and so it's a special Sunday around here. And for those of you who are new, I mean, you have no perspective of this, but uh, it's just been incredible to see um, God working so much. We'll, we'll tell some stories over the next couple of weeks as we move along here and get closer and closer here to Christmas. But what we're doing here this morning is that we, last week we started our Christmas series that we're simply just calling Carols. And uh, what I've done is I've chosen four different carols that we're looking at. Um, these are, I think, um, s- songs that we love to sing, whether it's in church or at parties or when you go out caroling. How many go out caroling anymore? Does anybody do that anymore? <laughs> Just the Ormsby's in the back are the only ones. Whatever happened? Oh, God, whatever, I mean, whatever happened to that? Did, uh, isn't that, didn't you ever do it as a kid? It was one of the greatest things that I, I, I has memories, taking my kids and going caroling. We lived in Wisconsin at the time, and so it was freezing cold with snow. Uh, but we, we, this should be easy here in Texas. It's nice and warm, and yes, today is a warm day, everybody. Uh, but it's, these are just some of the carols that I think that they're kind of near and dear to our heart. But I think a lot of times we just sing these, and we don't necessarily realize the amazing truths that we're singing about. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at some of these carols. Last week, we looked at one of my favorite all-time Christmas carols, Oh Holy Night. And similarly, we're going to look at an, another one of my favorites here today, which is Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Any of you guys, that's one of your favorite carols, Oh Come All Ye Faithful? So we're going to talk about that just here a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of backstory of this psalm, because it was written by a guy by the name of John Francis Wade in the 18th century. He was an English hymn writer, and this is one of the hymns that he wrote. He originally wrote it in Latin, and it was called Adeste Fideus. And then in 1841, another guy by the name of Frederick Oakley translated it then into English. This is the song that we sing. And there's an interesting line that I think is kind of exciting about this song when we first, when you first start singing this song. But I think it's also a really intimidating line because that entry line says, Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. The reason why I find this line a little intimidating is because I don't know how it is with you, but I don't always feel very faithful joyful or triumphant, especially in the Christmas season. Uh, I think so many other days and and so many times when we're in a busy time, I I think a lot of us, we feel more defeated and depressed and doubtful. You know what I'm talking about? I think that'd be kind of a weird song. Oh, come all ye defeated, depressed, and doubtful, right? Um, and I, I, but I think that's the reality for so many of us, that that's, that's the reality of where we kind of live and the different things that we experience emotionally, especially this Christmas time. And so I think there are days for every single one of us where we just don't feel very faithful. And I don't know how about it is with you, but for me, I, I really, really do love God. God has done so many great and amazing, spectacular things in my life. And, uh, but the reality for me is that there are so many days that I just feel like I fail where I'm, I'm, I'm not really always doing the things I know that I'm supposed to do, and I'm not always the loving and patient person that I know I'm supposed to be. And, and, uh, and so I think there's so many days where I feel exactly like the Apostle Paul describes in the book of Romans, where those things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do, and those things I do are the things I'm not supposed to do. And this tug of war between 
What Paul says, the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life, um, it still messes me up even today. And so I think for so many of us, we have this, this feeling that we're just not very faithful. But not only that, I think there are plenty of days where a lot of us, we're just not very joyful either. And I think there's so many things that, that steal our joy. And I'm not just talking about driving on Highway 71. Although if you've been around here, you know how that takes my joy, just like this. My sense of injustice just pings every time I drive on Highway 71. But when I think about things that steal our joy, it's so funny that even in Christmas, the Christmas season can steal our joy. Just the busyness and the things and um, Christmas shopping. How many of you agree that Christmas shopping can steal your joy? Um, the thing that you're, you're wanting to do and be grateful and giving, but yet just like that, it steals your joy, the crowds and the pushing and the shoving, and I don't know how it is with you, but if there's five checkout lanes, I invariably choose the wrong one, the one that doesn't move as fast as the other because there's some lady there writing a check. I mean, who writes a check nowadays? Or, or the guy who has 15 coupons that he's still tearing out of his magazine to pay for the items, or, or, or the person that gets that one item that's missing the barcode, and they're having to do an aisle check to get somebody to run back, and so just like that, it can take my joy away, and I think even though there, these are some ridiculous and silly examples of things that can steal our joy, the reality is for every single one of us, there's more serious things that are wearisome in, in our life, maybe your finances or are in trouble, or maybe your, maybe your job is in jeopardy, or maybe you're experiencing relational difficulty that's where there's brokenness, or maybe you, your doctor told you um, something that you just didn't want to hear, and so it just feels like there's so many things out there that steal and contend for our joy, and so I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of us, we just don't feel that triumphant. You know what I'm talking about? We just don't feel that triumphant. Not only do we struggle with feeling faithful and joyful, but we also just don't feel that triumphant either. And so maybe for you, your, your marriage, you've been married for 20 years, and it's just not what you thought it would be. And so in your marriage, you just don't feel very triumphant. Maybe it's in your career. You thought you would be farther along in your career at this point, and it's just not going there. And so you just don't feel very triumphant in your career. Maybe it's with your kids, and there's all this bitter fighting that's happening within your family and there's separation that's going on and so you just don't feel very triumphant in your relationships and so for, forget about being triumphant I think for so many of us we're just trying to survive right we're just trying to make it through to the next day or to the next month or we're just trying to make it through some very difficult situations but yet when you look at this carol it gives out this call oh come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. So the question is, who in the world is this carol written for? I mean, because like I said, is, is anybody faithful? Is anybody joyful? Is anybody triumphant? That We sing it, but yet who is this call really to? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who don't have it together. 
Come to me, all of you who realize you don't have this insta-worthy life. See, this is who Jesus says to come. Jesus said, come to me. Those are who I want you to come, because if you'll come to me, I'll relieve you. I will give you rest. Hey, everybody, this is really good news for all of us who feel defeated and depressed and doubtful, not at all faithful, joyful, and triumphant. This is really good news because Jesus calls those who are weary and heavy burdened. But that's not all who, who he calls. Look at this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said, is it not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. See, look at, look at who, who Jesus calls. Jesus calls all sinners. In other words, he calls us to come just as we are. Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there is no expectation that God has for us to clean up our lives and get rid of the messiness in, in us and get ourselves fixed before we come to God. Jesus already gave his life while your life was completely a mess. And he did it in the hopes that you would choose him. Hey, everybody, this is pretty good news. Because for all of us who feel defeated and depressed and doubtful and not at all faithful and joyful and triumphant, Jesus calls us who are sinners just as we are, to even with our completely messed up lives, to come to him. And that's the Jesus' call. Jesus' call is just to come. Just as we are, just to come. You don't have to put on some sort of religious facade that so many of us tend to feel the pressure to do when you come to church. That is not Jesus' expectation for any of us. Jesus just says, come. Just come as you are. Because once we come to him, this is where it gets really fun. Because that's where the miracle of transformation begins to take place then in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And that's the miracle that begins to take place in every single one of our lives. When you come to Jesus... That transformation begins to take place. He gets rid of those things from our past, and he does something extraordinarily new and exciting in you. He forgives your sins and your mistakes, and he forgets your past and wipes away all of your mistakes, and he puts his spirit in you. And listen, folks, that changes everything. That's what makes the difference. And this is then what the carol is all about. Because number one, it's Jesus who makes you faithful. It's Jesus who makes you faithful. That is the miracle of Christmas that we celebrate. And I think for so many of us, this is really kind of difficult for us to understand because I think what we end up doing is that we end up just trying to live our lives out of our head or out of our intellect or out of our experiences or out of our knowledge instead of faith. In other words, we just keep living our lives the way we've always lived our lives before we came to Jesus. But the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, for we live by what? Faith. We live by faith, not by sight. 
This is the transformation that begins to happen in every single one of us. And this is what God has invited us into, this amazing, adventurous life of faith. It's a life lived outside of what you can just do in your own strength, abilities, and intellect. It's a place where risk meets faith. It's a place where love meets courage. This is where God has called us to, to live our days while we're here on earth. And so the writer of Hebrews he says it this way, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scoring its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me ask you a question here today. Where are you putting your focus? What are you putting your attention on? Because here the writer of Hebrews is describing something of how we are to live now this new life. Because is your focus on your problems? Is your focus on all the things you have to get done, your busyness? Is, the, is your focus on those, those seemingly insurmountable troubles that have come your way? Is your focus on you? Is your focus on what other people have spoken about you? Where, where is your focus? Where are you putting your, what are you putting your focus on? Because the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on what? On Jesus. Why? Because he's the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. In other words, he's the one who gives you faith, and he's the one who will complete that faith in you. But not only does Jesus make you faithful, Number two, it's Jesus who will make you joyful. And so again, this is not just something that you and I have to muster up. But I think for so many of us, our tendency is we tend to tie our emotional stability to stuff. We tie it to our family and to things and our, and our pocketbook and the economy and what's happening in the government, what's happening in our, in our health situation. We tend to tie our emotional stability to stuff, and we all want our emotional stability to be dominated by happiness and joy. As a matter of fact, Thomas Jefferson said that it's the pursuit of happiness that is the inalienable right given by God. And so happiness is something that's supposed to, it is your right to have. The problem, though, is that I think all of us, we tend to connect when we don't have the stuff that will tend to will make us happy, then it feels like happiness is trying to run after the wind, trying to grab a hold of the wind. Because, sure, I get that job, this thing that I wanted, but yet once I have the job, there's still something missing. I get that relationship that I wanted, but yet something's still missing. I get that house that I dreamed of, but yet there's still something missing. I still don't have that joy and happiness that I desperately want. Why? Because I'm still tying my emotional stability to stuff. Look at this in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior will be born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I want you to notice this phrase um, here in this passage. It says, I, will, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, notice what he's saying here. Jesus and joy go together. And not only any joy, but what kind of joy? Great joy, right? Isn't that what he said? Great joy. And that's why joy is not as elusive as you might think, because the gospel is great news, and it brings great joy, which means you can't separate joy from the gospel. The answer, everybody, to your happiness problem is the gospel. That is, that is the issue, because joy is a byproduct of the Spirit of God working in your life. In Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, But the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now notice the Apostle Paul describes these things as fruit. And fruit's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, you think about an apple. An apple comes from an apple tree. But an apple tree doesn't produce an apple because it's trying really hard to produce it, to make it happen. It, because it's an apple tree, the apple just comes from it. The apple is the essence. It is the fruit of, that comes from that apple tree. And joy is just like that. That's what Paul's talking about. The joy is a fruit. It's the evidence of the Spirit of God working in your life. It's the evidence of you having a right relationship with God. Joy is not something that you have to manufacture up on your own. Joy is not something that you have to kind of grit and squeeze out in order that you are going to be joyful. That's what happiness is, everybody. Happiness depends on your happenings. You hear me? Happiness is dependent upon your happenings. In other words, if my happenings meet my expectations, then I'll be happy. But if my happenings don't meet my expectations, then I'll lose my happiness. Joy, everybody, is different than that. Joy is not dependent upon your happenings because joy is a fruit the evidence of the Spirit of God working in you. It's a byproduct of God actually working then inside of you. It has nothing to do with happenings. But not only does Jesus make us faithful and joyful, number three, it's Jesus who will also make you triumphant. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries a son all the way you went until you reach this place. Now I think for so many of us, we just don't realize who it is who has your back. We don't realize who stands with you and for you and it goes before you. And so let me remind you here today, everybody, the one who has your back is the creator of everything. He is that alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's the all-seeing and the all-knowing and he's the all-powerful God. That's the one who has your back. And he's the one who leads you in his triumph. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now here in these passages, this is one of the passages we read at Christmas time. Because it's the prophet Isaiah prophesying the coming of the Messiah, that he would come as a baby born in a manger. I think the problem, though, for so many of us when we think about Christmas, which, by the way, I love what the worship team did today. They didn't keep us focusing on Christmas because Christmas is just the beginning of the story. We have to go all the way through Easter to get the whole gospel, right? But the problem is for so many of us at Christmas time, the image that so many of us have is we take this amazing prophecy and we insert it into our image of that very first Christmas. In other words, what we see is the nativity. And what we see is this little itty glowing baby Jesus with squishy hands and toes and, and little cheeks that you just want to suck on. The... <laughs> This is kind of how we view, I think, the coming of Jesus here. But listen, everybody, make no mistake. That little baby is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And even in the squishy little fingers and, and squeezable cheeks and toes, he is that prince of peace. And he is the Lord over all things. He's the author of your faith. He's the one who spoke everything into existence. He's the bread of life and he is your salvation. And he is the one who will fight for you. I have a video that I think powerfully illustrates this. So if you would, draw your attention to the screens and let's watch this together. I am going to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you are born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal right to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help, I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it is always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. 
Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, <clears throat> could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you? And now he has set you free? And now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How, how could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You're saying, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. Me? Child? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me the commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that it's a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men. 
Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary. so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down. Because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs. Because his lambs beat the wolf packs. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I'm unashamed of it. Dear Lord Jesus, take what is rightfully yours. Don't just send us. Send us with yourself, firmly planted within our souls. We cannot do your work. We cannot bring you glory, even though we're willing to do it without you. Please, if you want to come with us, why in the world would we ever try on our own? You don't have to go on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. 
You can't love the lost. You can't love those who spit upon your face. He can. Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. Listen, so that's the gospel, everybody. Christmas is the beginning of that miracle, but don't let it stop just with your nativity scene that's on your fireplace. Recognize who it is who has your back. And it's not about you and me trying to be joyful and faithful and triumphant. We don't come to Jesus because we are those things. We come to him because he is. He is those things. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels, oh, come, let us adore him. If you would, I want you to close your eyes, if you would, please. And I want you to just let what it is that God is already stirring in your heart begin just to take even greater form. Because some of you, you believed in the lie. And instead of remembering who it is who has your back, you've just been kind of been giving in to whatever, whatever comes your way. And Jesus is reminding you that greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. For some of you here this morning, you're here and, and maybe you've really never given Jesus permission to work in your life. Sure, you may know about him. You may have gone to church from time to time, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. And so your whole life up to this point has just been about what you can make happen. But maybe there's something that's stirring inside of you here today. And I want to just encourage you that that is the very presence of God stirring in your heart, drawing you to come to him to actually come to him, to let go of you just trying to do this maybe church thing, religious thing, or just doing your, own, doing your own thing. He's asking you to come to him, and he's tugging at your heart. He's asking you just to come as you are. Maybe for others of you, you've already asked Jesus to come into your life, but you've fallen into this trap of just going back and living your life the way you've always done it before you ask Jesus to come into your life. And so for you, the joy has fallen back into just the happenings around you instead of being the fruit of the very presence of God working in your life. 
And so today, you need a fresh outpouring of the presence of God in, in your life. You've leaked out the presence of God, and you, you're, on, you're running on empty, and you're just kind of doing it yourself. But I believe that God wants to fill you back up here today, right now, here in his presence. And so if you would, all around this room, would you just put your hands out in front of you, right where you are, right where you're sitting? Just put your hands out. Every kid, every child understands this position. And the Bible describes for us, unless we come to him as a little child, we're going to miss it. And our pride just gets in the way. But every child knows when they put their arms out, boy, they're, 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 they're looking for mom or dad to come. And so would you right, right where you are, just put your hands out in front, of, in front of you. And would you ask God to fill you? Just ask him to fill you. Whether this is the, the first time you've ever asked him to do that, or whether this is the first time in, in a long time that you've asked him to do that, would you ask him to, to fill you? Whether you're feeling faithful or joyful or triumphant right now, or where, whether you're feeling defeated and depressed and, and doubtful, would you just ask God to fill you up right here? Father, would you come right now? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill every man and woman, every young person here in this room with your presence? Would you just take over our lives? Would you just consume us? Lord, we surrender every part of who we are. Jesus, we invite you to come into our life. No matter how we are in this moment, we ask you to come. Would you come and take over in our lives that we can walk in your joy, that we can walk in your faithfulness, that we can walk in your triumphant procession. We're going to take communion here together. This is a very physical action to even our surrender. And whether this is maybe your first time that you're doing this as something that's meaningful in your heart or something that you've done a thousand times. It's an opportunity for us to take a physical action and attach it to a spiritual reality. The Bible describes for us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the remission of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. We have two communion stations here in front of each of the two sections. And, and so how we do this is that here at One Chapel, we celebrate open communion, which means this, you don't have to be a member of this church. This is something that Jesus has set up. And if you have asked Jesus to come here, I, I, I invite you to participate in this. And how we'll do this is that We'll start with the front row and move back, and you'll just exit on your right. You'll circle around, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and just circle back then into your aisle. And the worship team is just going to lead us again in this carol of, Oh, come, all you faithful. So you would stand on your feet here, and let's do it together. And so, Father, here as we are so full in this Christmas mode, Father, would you do something of a miracle in us to shift our focus and to shift just the repetition of another year and another Christmas, another holiday season. And Father, would you even surprise us with what you want to put into our lives? And Lord, I pray 
specifically for every single person in here who doesn't feel like they're triumphing, who believed the lie and have just succumbed to what life has thrown at them. Lord, I pray, Father, that your presence would overtake them even here in this moment. That, God, that you would come and you would break through the lie of the enemy that's telling them it can't work, it won't happen. That, God, you would break through that. And, Lord, they would find you as the one who has their back, as the one who will lead them in that triumph. And so, Father, would you shift our gaze here, even in this moment here today. If you would stand on your feet, and, and I want to just speak this blessing over you as we finish here. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. God bless you. Have a great, great week. If you're new here, if you want to go to the five-minute party, we'll start at 11.06 right up the top of the, of the ramp there. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody.